Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I personally think that we're at a crisis point in organizations, and I think it's true around the world. There's no question from all the research that trust in leadership at all levels is kind of at an all-time low. And it seems that everywhere I turn, one leader or another isn't acting with, quote-unquote, integrity. They're not living the values that their companies are espousing, or at least that's what I'm hearing from employees around the world. Now, I happen to know that companies usually do spend a good deal of work and a good bit of money to determine what their values are and to narrow those down and to publicize them. And they'll embrace them on the walls. They'll put them in the company annual report. They'll put them in posters. They'll do an internal rollout. They will be everywhere. The question for today, though, is the following. Do values work? And do they actually transfer to the bottom line? And if so, then what can leaders do to transform their businesses? And today, we're not going to do this as a theoretical discussion. We're going to talk with a leader who's actually done it. So my guest today, I'm thrilled to say, is Dina Dwyer Owens. And Dina is an acclaimed author, a motivational speaker, and a longtime board member for Neighborly. And Neighborly used to be called the Dwyer Group. Pro- many people probably know her best for participating in the U.S. CBS TV show, which was Emmy Award winning hit, called Undercover Boss. Nadina is also a certified franchise executive with more than 38 years in industry experience, including 15 years as CEO of the Dwyer Group. Um, and this, the Dwyer Group, now called Neighborly, is the largest franchiser of home service brands with 22 brands and nearly 3,700 franchise owners across nine countries. More importantly, Dina is now the author of two books. One is called Live, R-I-C-H, and the second one is called Values, Inc., and they both share her global message for living and leading in a proven code of values. You can find any of those on values dash inc.com. Dina, it's with pleasure. Welcome to the show. Hi, Wanda. I am so happy to be here. I'm thrilled. I am, and I think it's a fascinating story, so I can't wait to hear it. Now, I guess just a tiny bit of your bio that you were part of Undercover Boss and that you have been a board member at Naverly and you were CEO of the Dwyer Group, but that doesn't do justice to your story. Tell us a little bit more about the Dwyer Group and the time you've spent with the company. So I was born into the company. I'm not only 38 years old, though. <laughs> when, you, when you say I've been around for 38 years, it's like, oh, my gosh. I, I, yeah, I'm 56 now. But my father founded the company in 1981, and he had a very, very clear mission statement uh, that still surfaced today, and that's to teach uh, our principles and systems of personal and business success so that all people we touch live happier, more successful lives. So to kind of break that down, Wanda, we're in the business of, helping people have a better quality of life. And we, as a franchise organization, of course, teach systems. So we have the business systems that we teach, but I think even more important than that are the the principles and systems for personal success. Uh, the values that we have here at Neighborly are a big part of that. Um, so I, I bought into that uh, that mission as a very young girl um, while attending Baylor University here in Waco, Texas. 
And uh, actually, we'll never forget, I, I won't get too sidetracked, I'll never forget standing beside my father at one of our annual conventions. Back then, we had maybe 36 franchisees in the early 80s. And this big, brawny guy is walking up to my dad, and he looks kind of mad. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, what's about to happen here? And he walks up, and with tears in his eyes, says to my father, Don, I have to thank you. Because of the opportunity you've given us to be a franchisee at that time of Rainbow International, he said, not only has my family achieved their dreams, but we are helping our employees achieve their dreams. And I just can't thank you enough for the opportunity. And mm-hmm. I, I saw my dad's expression. And, of course, my heart just jumped with, with joy, thinking, no wonder this guy works so hard to do what he does. So that, that's kind of the early, the early story. And then um, I was blessed to have... Uh, I was mad a lot, but I was blessed to have been guided by my father, you know, working directly for him for years in different roles in the organization um, to prepare me for uh, the, the, the leadership role I would take in 1999 as the CEO. He, unfortunately, after taking the company public in 93, uh, died of a sudden heart attack in 94 just a year later. And if he were here, he'd tease about going public, killed him because it took too much control away. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we were left with a real void, you know, and, and that void, uh, the, the biggest fear with that void was, how do we keep this culture special that uh, our visionary, our founder, worked so hard to create, driven by the foundation of our code of values? So uh, I, I assume the role, but, you know, you, we don't do anything by ourselves. I, I was just one person who was good at a couple of things who helped lead the company to where we are today uh, under the leadership of our CEO, Mike Biddle, and an amazing um, team of 800 and something uh, associates now. Um, so we, we really have a foundation for success being our code of values, and I think that's what we're going to talk about a lot today. Yeah, I certainly do want to talk about those. I want to do a little bit more on you before I get to the values, because being thrust unexpectedly. So first off, there's the going public in 1993, and anybody who's ever been through that, especially when you've been tightly controlled and independently running your own show and calling the shots in your own systems and processes, and then to go public and to have to answer to shareholders in a new way, it's not for the faint of heart. But then to be thrust into the role of leading that in, in a year later, talk about discomfort. So ha- what happened? That How did you learn to live with that? How did you learn to make that step? Yeah, it was challenging, uh, to say the least. And we were really too small to be publicly traded. We were traded on NASDAQ. So um, when, when he passed, of course, there was a lot of fear amongst the shareholders, what's going to happen now? And a funny turn of events happened. Our, uh, the CEO we put in, in place after my father passed away uh, was a, y- a young man named Robert Tenmeyer, who had been a franchisee of our company but grew rapidly in the organization as a leader, uh, primarily leading our, our franchise sales division. Really, really a ministry, you know, to help people get in their own business. It's amazing uh, how today he even thinks about it. He's finally retiring after 44 years at the company. Um, he was there before we were officially Dwyer Group. But I remember the outside board um, coming to me in late 98 and just saying, uh, we think we have the right people on the bus but in the wrong seats. We, we, we need a new CEO. Robert needs to get back to doing franchise development because that's what he's best at and we're suffering in that area of the business af- after taking him out of that role. Uh, we'd like to put you in as the acting uh, president and CEO because we think shareholders are going to be concerned. You're a you know, young girl, 35 years old at the time, um, never run, you know, run a company that size, and we want to give some time to prove to them that we think you're the right person, and, and, and therefore they gave me the acting title. You know, and there's some decisions you have to make, Wanda, when you are a young, a young wife and a young mother of two. Um, I, I went through the mental and emotional uh, conversation with myself about how do I do this with, uh, without taking more time away from my family, except this, this honor of running the company. 
um, I figured that one out. We can talk about that later if you want, but I, I, uh, I said, yes, I'll do it. Thank you for the, the opportunity. What, a, what, a, what an honor it is. And right away um, got tremendous pushback from our franchise network. In fact, uh, Mr. Reuter is still our largest uh, brand today. It's a plumbing and drain cleaning company. Uh, and there was a, a group of top franchisees who got together when they heard this and had a meeting. And uh, there's a leader of that group, of course, that uh, did a straw poll. Do you believe that Dina should be the permanent president CEO? And it was not unanimous, but the majority said, no, she should not. And, of course, that word got back to me. That doesn't feel very good, does it? <laughs> so no. I, we, have be, yeah. we have to be big about these things. And I, I said to myself, i got to go meet the guy because he doesn't know me. So I, I asked to have a, a face-to-face with him. I got right in front of him, using our code of values as uh, the guide for my conversation with him, and really just said, look, we, we don't really know each other. I understand this has happened. and like to know why you guys don't believe I'm the right person for the role. He said two things, and this guy's a smart business guy and a plumber by trade, um, but ran one of our largest businesses. He said, number one, you don't, you don't know plumbing. You know, you're not a plumber. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I am not a plumber. <laughs> number two, you've never run a company this size. Darn it, he was right again. Uh, you're right. I've never run a company this size. I had run businesses before, but not the, the scale of that publicly traded company. And I, you know, we have to know ourselves, Wanda, and our strengths. And I said, but there is one thing I am, the customer. So when you go Mm -hmm. knock on a door to do a plumbing job or any of your techs do that, who answers the door most of the time? And, of course, the answer is the woman of the house. So I said, who better to run this company than the woman of the house who understands um, what, what our needs are? And I said, I need you to give me six months to prove myself. If I don't prove myself, I'll step down. I'm not going to damage this company uh, that my father and my family have worked so hard along with the team members to build. So he, he stood beside me, said he would. Um, and after six months, thankfully, because I surrounded myself with an amazing team, uh, not only in the organization, but also my, my uh, family was tremendous in supporting me. And Robert Tenmire, the guy who had to step down as CEO and then report to me after having been the CEO. And he became, uh, this this gentleman, this franchisee, became a greatest cheerleader after six months. Great. Okay, so you get an amazing team, Dana, but what is it that you think you did that really contributed to the to his belief in you after six months? I think it's the, uh, first of all, leading um, by the values. When you lead with your values, our values are very clear. And when you lead with our values, like it's only speak to ours, I guess, when you lead with the values... It creates trust, and I think, you know, you open this segment up with trust is at a, uh, an all-time low, and you're absolutely right. Um, so I think that the greatest thing that I did was I made a full commitment to leading by our values and holding myself accountable when I didn't and be, being the first to acknowledge when I believed I didn't uh, live by the values because, you know, things change, and, and there are times when you've made a commitment that you, you end up breaking, uh, not that you want to break it, but it happens and uh, allowing my team to hold me accountable. And in fact, we went right into a, an exercise when I became CEO. Um, no, you know what? It was before I became CEO. I was VP of operations, but I, I led the exercise of uh, giving the associates, as we introduced these operationalized code of values, the opportunity to beat the executive team anytime we violated a value. And we, we did that game for about 90 days. So, so we were kind of ahead of our time, right, gamifying yeah. <laughs> something like the code of values. Yeah. And the employees held us accountable, Wanda. It was embarrassing. 
For 90 days, it was like the Roadrunner was racing through our buildings because we got beeped so frequently. So I think that that helped establish, uh, you know, carrying that forward helped establish the trust amongst the team and the franchisees. Being a collaborator, being willing to listen to others, um, really caring about people and caring about them so much that sometimes you have to have those tough conversations. Yeah, boy, do I, do I not see those happening all around. So first off, the notion that you would give associates the opportunity to, in effect, to ding you publicly in ways if you're not living up to your values is kind of without a you know, front and center. And pretty, uh, I imagine, humbling as well as enriching at the same time. And then this caring about people. I'm hearing this all over everywhere. It's not that complicated, but if you don't care, boy, does it show. Absolutely does it show. All right. So, Dina, there's so many questions I could ask you on that one, but I want to get to the part about the values. Because, first off, why don't you tell us what the values are for the Dwyer Group and now Neighborly? Quick, quick story on the history of the values. So when yes, uh, Don Dwyer founded the company, he, he, he'd always been a student of leadership. And so he said, when I, when I found this company, when I find this company, what am I, what, what are my values going to be? What am I going to base uh, my beliefs on? Um, because having studied leadership, and, and those can be leaders from other businesses, churches, military, he learned mm-hmm. that great leaders were always clear about their values. And they always mm-hmm. shared those values with anybody that they were in contact with, that they were going to be working with. So he founded the company on a set of values that I would call a um, emotional belief system. Things like uh, loyalty has meaning to our lives. One that I never forget, Wanda, is I come to my office or, or really conduct any any business um, is we must re-earn our positions every day in every way. And back then, Don was the one who held us accountable. We were a much smaller company, and he'd let you know, "Gosh, you're doing a great job. You know, living up to these values." Or, "Man, you got some work to do on this one." So when he died, our, our biggest fear as a leadership team was, "Is how do we keep the values alive?" And that's why we came up with the Operationalized Code of Values. And they're under the acronym of RICH. Uh, I'm kind of, um, I, need, I need acronyms. It helps me remember things. So the RICH stands for respect, integrity, customer focus, and having fun in the process. And we say we live rich at Neighborly. And, and again, at the end of the day, it is about making a, a profit as an organization. We're a for-profit organization. But it's first about treating people with respect and dignity. And one thing we know is that you can't just have words as your values. It can't just be respect. Okay, so what does that mean, Wanda, right? You might yeah, define right. respect a little differently than I do. And, you know, a millennial who's coming into work for a company might define it very differently than you and I do. So we knew right on we needed to have we, – we, we still call them values, but you might think of them as accountability statements. So under the, um, the respect, we would have treating others you'd like to be treated, which is a kind of a natural one. In, in our business, we have speaking calmly and respectfully – without profanity or sarcasm. I mean, we're in, we're in the trades businesses, Wanda. Not everybody right. uses profanity, but unfortunately, you know, some people have a bad yeah. habit, don't even realize they have it, of using profanity, and the customer doesn't want to hear that. So we, we, we took it a step further and uh, it defined what do we mean by respect and integrity and customer focus. Having fun was, you know, just stay ethical. <laughs> it's too hard yeah. to define what having fun means. So uh, the, the biggest thing we did, though, when we, we came forward with those new operation size values and brought them to the team, as we said, how do we keep them alive? How do we keep them front and center, regardless of who's running the company as the CEO at the time? Because as you stated earlier, most organizations have gone through a strategic planning process, identifying vision, mission, and values, and they get back to the office and what happens? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing yeah. happens with all that work that they did. It's amazing the energy and time and money that goes into that, and then nothing happens. So we said, we're not going to be guilty of that. Um, so as a franchise organization, 
what we do is we take what's most important in business and we create mm-hmm. systems around that so those systems can be replicated and can benefit everybody involved. So we said, let's systematize the values. Anytime we have a meeting of three or more, uh, initially just with our employees and then eventually we invited the franchisees, we had to prove ourselves first, uh, we're going to review the values. So, so literally it's, it's that deep breath at the beginning of a meeting, Wanda, where you stop and you say, we live our code of values by treating others as we'd mm-hmm. like to be treated. We live our code of values by making only agreements we're willing, able, and intend to keep. And so we did that religiously, every meeting of three or more. Um, now, over the years, we've, we've taken that to another level of um, it's okay to start that meeting by focusing on a particular value that really pertains to the meeting at hand, or it's okay to start the meeting off by highlighting a team member who recently got praised by a customer uh, for living a particular value. But it's keeping them front and center. It's that system of front and center every single day. So that is, is the one thing that uh, when I was CEO, I knew I had to be my number one priority. No matter when I got up in front of a, uh, an audience or how often I got up in front of an audience of franchisees or associates, the first thing I had to do was talk about our code of values. Okay. Wow. I can't, you know, I think about how many leaders I know, how many CEOs I know who do believe the values but wouldn't take the time in every single meeting of three or more people, every single talk that they give to opening that meeting with something about the values, because it would feel like it was literally a waste of time. But you believe mm-hmm. this is what keeps the business strong. Am I right? It is what's helped us get where we are today. The world's largest franchisor of home service businesses with 22 brands. Okay. I, so, I truly believe that. It's the foundation for that ability to, to be where we are today. And, and we're really just getting started. We have so much opportunity for growth. Yeah. I was going to say, I think about how many franchise organizations I know who end up with a battle with the franchisees in one place or another. They kill sales, they kill the brand, they kill the customers. And I can imagine that this code of values keeps your franchisees tightly connected to the group and wanting to be a part of it. I can see how that would add up to success. They, they, the, the values actually attract the right people to the organization, mostly. Um, you know, it's funny. I've heard it over and over again from franchisees who've joined us. And they said, I just believe what you believe. You guys just happen to have it so clear in writing. I never had it in writing like that. So you just made it so clear for me. Um, now, we, we've had our challenges, and we'll continue to have our challenges from time to time, too, Wanda, when it comes to franchisees maybe not agreeing uh, with our, our strategy. But the good news is... We had this means for communicating. Uh, when I was CEO, I, I, I'll never forget how I was almost gleeful when a franchisee called me with a problem, and the conversation okay. started with, Dean, I got a problem, and here are the values I think that pertain to this particular problem and how we can solve it. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, they're listening. This is working. We're going we're to make this work out. It's going to be okay. okay. Great. Great. All right, so I have to ask you about this one. You have evidence that the values actually contribute to the bottom line. Can you explain how you know that? Yes, in fact, um, if if the listeners are interested, the second book I wrote, Values, Inc., was written primarily to convince those leaders out there who don't believe it adds to profitability. And so there are a great uh, number of statistics in the book that talk about, um, you know, a lot of companies are profitable, Wanda, that aren't following their values. No doubt about right. it. The question is, how sustainable are they, and how much more profitable could they be if they were really leading with their values? And that's what the book, the book addresses. 
But here at Neighborly, uh, I have a saying that living rich creates wealth and that wealth begins in the relationships. So when you lead with your values, it gets back to that word trust we talked about. It creates trust. When you create trust, what happens with referrals? People refer like crazy. Our existing franchises are the best source of referrals for us when it comes to gaining another another great franchisee. It's our lowest cost <laughs> lead as well, right? When an existing franchisee um, refers somebody that's a friend or a family member or somebody they've met along the way that they think would make a good franchisee. So there's referrals there. There's customer referrals. You know, we have this, this Get Neighborly brand. So um, anybody who needs any services in their home or small business can go to GetNeighborly.com and they can find out more about um, the franchisees in their area. Well, customers want to refer those franchisees, and the ratings are real-time, right, from the neighbors in the area. You can find the ratings of the franchisees in your neighborhood right there at GetNeighborly.com. So they're referring. And then it goes further than that. Uh, one of the ways we've built our organization to be the largest franchisor of home service businesses is by being a trusted brand when founding franchisors or even ones owned by private equity groups are ready to sell a franchise service business that fits our menu of services, many of them have it as their goal to sell to Neighborly. They want Neighborly Mm -hmm. to be the home for their franchisees, knowing that they'll be well taken care of. Um, Mm -hmm. So we have acquired businesses because Mm -hmm. those franchisors have said, I know back then Dwyer Group, now Neighborly, is the best home for my franchisees. I need to be paid fairly uh, for the business, but, but that's the best place that my franchisees could be and my employees because, you know, those folks care. Um, and then to take it one level further, you think about the private equity. Um, I, we haven't talked about this, but in 2003, we went from public, publicly traded to private. Uh, Riverside, a big private equity group um, with many, many locations, um, uh, acquired us in 2003. And what they loved about the company is that we truly lived our values. At first, they thought we were hokey and kind of weird. You know, we're in Waco, so they were thinking, oh, my gosh, another kind of strange story out of Waco. But when they got to deal with us, they're like, you guys aren't kidding about these values. You really mean it. Um, they liked us so much that they sold us in 2010 as private equities due to get a return on investment. And three years later, came knocking back on the door to say, hey, Dina, we just raised $1.5 billion. We can't find companies like Neighborly to invest in. Would you guys be open to, to allowing us to reacquire the company? We know we'd have to pay a premium, but we love your values. You know, we love the mission of the business and what you do to help people have a better quality of life. And we think the growth potential is unlimited. And, of course, we said, wow. yeah, let's, let's talk about it because we had a great relationship <laughs> the first time. We'd love to partner with you again. If you want to pay us a premium, let's talk. They paid us, mm, I think it was two times what they had sold us for three years earlier. Now, we had created value over those three years, but mm-hmm. they did pay a premium. So, again, living rich creates wealth. So I can speak for our organization that we would not be where we are today financially if we were not committed to our values. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible story. I don't know many companies that can say that, that you go from public to being a privately held, you know, most people tell horror stories about being held by private equity and private equity (laughs) sells you. Okay. All right, fine. And then comes back and buys you again. Um, a few years later at twice what they paid for you. I, what, a, what a great story. And Isn't again, it comes. It is such a fun story. And, and, and one other point to that that I think that the listeners will find interesting is, you know, again, they thought the values were a little bit out there when they first met us. Mm-hmm. And then within the first, I think, year and a half, they actually took our model and created their own clarity around, they called theirs principles. 
their clarity around their principles. And then the second private equity company um, that we sold to that, that first time around after Riverside had us was TZP. Within the first six months, Wanda, of them acquiring us, they called, uh, I think it was myself and my chief, op- my chief financial officer at the time, into their offices in New York and said, look, we get how these values have really made a difference in your business, and we want to we do the same thing in our business, and here are the, the values that we've, we've identified that we want to be known for. Can you tell us if that's the experience you've had with us? Mm. They created their own set of values after having spent six months with us. Wow. So it's a domino effect when people when people do have the experience and they see that this stuff really works. I mean, it, it makes it easier to do business. It doesn't simplify everything. But it makes it easier to do business. And at the end of the day, I think it boosts your profitability. If you're providing a quality product and service, of course. So it's one thing to live with the value, but you've also got to deliver quality product right. and service. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's, but we've got plenty of people out there who have great products and great services and who aren't getting the kind of return on it that they think they should be getting or is not sustainable. And your argument would be, so take a look at your values by which you're doing your business and by which you're treating your employees. I think, um, Dina, for me, one of the things that's interesting about this conversation is maybe for the first time in a really long time, Lots of people are beginning to turn to this notion of how we treat people inside as being a core component of sustainability. So we're starting to see uh, people evaluate companies and how much they trust companies and how much they identify with the brand of the companies based on the reputation of how they treat their employees. Okay, we can name companies on that one. I won't do it because I won't embarrass them. But, okay, so starting to see that. And it's certainly been your experience at uh, the Dwyer Group and now Neighborly that, and with the private equity that has, been, that has acquired you and been associated with you, that living the values, clarifying them, making them clear, living them, operationalizing them contributes to great value at the end of the day. What more it, can it we does. say to that so one? I would just acknowledge that it absolutely does. Okay. Love that story. All right, so we're at the point where we should take a break. Um, I want to emphasize that my guest today is Dina Dwyer Owens. She's an author, a motivational speaker, and a now board member of Neighborly, which used to be called the Dwyer Group. She's got 38 years, I hate almost hate to say that, years of industry experience, but she started <laughs> at a very young age next to her dad, we'll say, having run the Dwyer Group as CEO, and now has two books I'd like to emphasize. One is called Live R-I-C-H which are you'll recognize as the acronym for Neighborly's Values, as well as Values, Inc. And you can find more on her website at values-inc.com or at the dinadwyerowens.com or also by great places. When we come back, I want to dig into a bit more on how and what do leaders do in order to manage that within their own businesses. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? 
For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Dina Dwyer Owens, and Dina is an author, a motivational speaker, a longtime board member of Neighborly, and former CEO of the Dwyer Group, which is now called Neighborly. The books, again, for your reference, are called Live R-I-C-H, which are the values at Neighborly, as well as Values, Inc., and you can find out more on her website at values-inc.com or dinadwyerowens.com. Okay, Dina, I love the story of how this has all impacted Neighborly. I love the notion that there are so many ways in which the values add money to the bottom line and make it sustainable, including from referrals from other franchisees, referrals in the neighborhood, referrals from customers, and aspirations from potential acquisition targets that they would like to be part of the company as well as the private equity firms that have bought you have realized how powerful it is and they've done the same thing in their own company. So I think that's about as strong of a statement as you can get for the power to the bottom line. What I want to do now, though, is how. So how do you advise a leader to go about doing the work of identifying the values and making that operational? Tell us about that journey. Yeah. And in both books, I, I lay that out somewhat, but you mentioned my website, dinadwireowens.com. I actually have a Create Your Culture Workbook. It's a free download. It's, it's uh, again, six simple steps, um, Wanda, that I'd encourage folks who are interested in this, um, da- downloading that and going to work. So the first step is having clarity of your values. And the way that I, I recommend people do that is, Think of, as a leader, think about it first. And if, and if you're not running a company today and you're out there as, a, as somebody that's a, 
a budding entrepreneur, you know, you want to do that, or maybe you're working for somebody else right now, but you know that that company could use that help, get clarity about the values you believe um, the organization should stand for and does stand for, and then uh, put those in writing. And and part of the Creature Culture Workbook, I I give some um, ideas of values so they can kind of go through a whole list and and maybe that'll spark their, their thoughts on, oh, yeah, this is something we really do practice. We never talk about it, but we really do practice it and get that clarity, and then invite um, key team members. Not a big group. I'd say less than 10 key team members to do the same. Kind of give them that, that same list of, you know, which values do you think we're already living? Which values do you think we need to be living? And identify those. Then the second part is to uh, bring those all together and then net them out. So, you know, you might end up with 15 different potential values once you've, you've brought the group's um, brain trust together, and then you have to say, look, let's, let's, let's get that down to, to 10. And maybe we land on 10 or maybe we land on less than 10. My, my friend Ken Blanchard, uh, who maybe all of you know as a, a great author, the one-minute manager and all those types of books, uh, originally told me four, sorry, 15 or too many, Dina. I said, Ken, we don't have 15 values per se. We have four, respect, integrity, customer focus, and having fun. So, you know, again, think about the other values. I call them values, but maybe they're just accountability statements. It helps identify what we mean by those values. So he came around to believing that. Okay, all right, that makes good sense. So get clarity of the values as a team. Come to an agreement as a team. I would say uh, test those values with the organization. You know, play the beep game like we did. Um, you know, introduce it to the company and say, look, here's, here's what we'd like to do as a leadership team. We want to test these out. You guys uh, study these. <laughs> Anytime you find us violating a value, beep us or whatever game you want to play. Um, do it for a period of time and be willing to accept their feedback. Uh, I kind of sidetrack. I'm sorry. We had we had one one executive uh, during this beep game process who got beeped by a mailroom clerk back in the old days. Right, the mail was delivered right. by somebody going down the hallways, and uh, the mailroom clerk heard the executive use profanity in the hallway while while speaking to another associate. So she beeped the executive. That executive did not like that, and she flipped her off. Could you believe? <laughs> we couldn't believe it when this mail clerk came to us to report that this is what happened. And we coached that executive, you know, we're all going to have a bad day, but you, you, know, you don't respond like that. When we invited the employees, you don't respond like that, period. But we invited the employees to give us the feedback. And, and a nice, talented lady who decided to leave the company, we didn't fire her. She decided to leave once we said, these are the values we're going to live by, because she didn't believe any lower-level employee had the right to give her feedback. Mm-hmm. So play the game. Play the game with your, your team members. Um, hold yourself accountable as leaders. Tweak the values as you need to. And then this, the next step, I would say, is create the mantra. Uh, again, my acronym is, uh, I have acronyms for everything, but Living Rich is the acronym we have here at Neighborly. And it just makes it easy for us to talk about the values. Everybody knows when we say Live Rich, we have T-shirts you know, that say Live Rich. In fact, I've got a, a new T-shirt that's got the values written all throughout the front of those nice, one of those nice soft T-shirts. Um, yep. As a reminder about how important it is to keep those values front and center, so a lot of associates uh, now have those those T-shirts that they wear around with the neighborly brand on the, on the back of them. Um, create the mantra. So what is the mantra uh, that you can use around this? Lead by example. So once, once you've created the mantra, uh, you've done the beep game, um, invite all the employees. You know, if they, if they believe it and they believe there's commitment from the leadership level, and that's the most important part is leadership's truly got, got to be committed to, to, to carrying them forward and living them and, and holding themselves accountable when they don't. Um, Creating that system around the values is critical. So kind of the step four is, you know, make sure that you have a system around keeping them front and center and borrow ours. If it means having a 
a review of the values at the beginning of any meetings of three or more or four or more. Or if it's a small company, maybe it's just every time you meet with your partner, you talk about them, um, or at least uh, several times a day. So create the system for how you're going to keep them front and center so they, they outlive any individual. They should just become part of the DNA, the fabric of the organization. Um, number five is measuring your performance. Wanda, I could not be speaking to you. I could not be traveling the globe speaking about the values on stages if I didn't know that we were truly living the values. So we do that in several ways. We survey our franchisees about every six months. We have a, a, a longer survey, but part of that survey is specific questions about how we're living certain values um, and then taking their feedback and making a commitment to tweak uh, the values that maybe we're, we're not as rated as highly on. Um, our associates are actually rated on their commitment to the values um, as their supervisor believes they're living or not living the values. So people are compensated partially by how they're, they're living the values. Um, we participate in external surveys, too, from time to time that lets us know what's happening. Uh, and then probably one of the biggest things uh, at the customer level is we, we do net promoter score. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. Okay, so for the for the listeners that aren't, it's it's um, the ultimate question. You know, how likely are you to refer us to a friend or family member? So our net promoter score amongst our franchisees, on average, is uh, around a seventy four, and it's you know it's not a scale of one of a hundred. I think it's a negative one hundred to a positive one hundred. And you think about companies like Apple and Southwest Airlines and even Amazon. I think they typically rate you know in the high sixties. A uh, Nordstrom's, where you're going to buy beautiful things and things you want to have, uh, you know, rates around an 80 uh, consistently. And our franchisees, on average, are getting a score of around a 74, 75, some much higher, some a little lower. Um, but on average, that's, that's uh, been said to be uh, incredible by people like Stephen, Stephen M. R. Covey, you know, who really is all about yeah. customer service and leadership. So the final thing after you measure performance, and that's got to be done regularly, is to continue to cultivate the culture. You gotta, you gotta bring some fun into this process. You don't want the values to ever become mundane. And you gotta be really honest with yourselves about that. So how else do we keep this exciting, uh, around the organization? And there's ways to do that. There, you know, there's games that can be played. There's awards that can be given. Uh, there's a lot of different things you can be creative about. Okay. Including t-shirts with a small print on exactly what you mean. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, Dina, that I like about what you've done is, you know, so I know lots of companies that have, decent, you know, a good set of values. It's great. They don't necessarily feel distinctive, but they're a good set of values, and that's fine. And I believe the leaders honestly believe it, but it doesn't have any meaning because it's not been operationalized. And by that, I mean they haven't actually stopped to say, what do we mean by customer centricity? Because the customer, you know, sometimes you'll say the customer can't always be right. Sometimes you have to have a hard message with a customer, depending upon the industry that you're in. And they don't bother to say, what does that mean we actually do? And then it's hard to hold people accountable. So what I like about what you've done is that you've taken the hard work to say, what do these values actually mean we're really doing? And put some words on that one. Yeah, they they need to be measurable. It's like anything, isn't it? (laughs) You can't manage what you can't measure. More and yeah. more so today, right, when you think about uh, technology and how we have to really look at data all the time. It's the same thing with this. And, and you know, they, they can't all be black and white. Uh, it's really hard to do that when you're dealing with people and and relationships sometimes. But you want to get it as clear as you can. So those accountability statements, if you want to call them that, behavior statements, are critical to this process. 
because you, you can't give somebody feedback unless there's a definition of what respect is in your organization yeah. or what customer you know, service is. So you're absolutely right, and that's, that's the hard part. Um, but I've also added some ideas in the Create Your Culture Workbook for possible accountability statements that are pretty um, consistent, I think, with any organization that provides customer service. I mean, there, there are okay. certain things we should all be doing. Uh, but it's, it's so much easier when you can actually speak to a particular behavior and say this is not in compliance with this particular value. Let's look at how we can redirect this associate and get them on track with this one. Yeah. Well, you also have the notion of it's not that I'm going to catch you out. It's that I'm going to give you the feedback. I'm going to give you a chance to, to correct. We're going to talk about what it means to correct. And so there's a way of getting people on board as opposed to a gotcha game. Right, exactly. Um, and the other thing yeah, that strikes so praise me is, praise is, is deserved because we need to praise yeah. people when they are living the values and, and as frequently as we can. In fact, I, I try to make a habit of uh, a thank you card on a daily basis to somebody acknowledging I'm not in the role of CEO anymore, but you know, just, just in my dealings, whether it's with associates here or franchisees or people in the community. Great. That's an interesting practice. I rather like that one. What a nice idea, writing a thank you card daily. Um, the other thing that strikes me about this one is because you've used the words accountability statements and feedback together. One of my frustrations about feedback and one of the mistakes I watch companies make on feedback, particularly with their high potential talent, is they'll use ambiguous words like, I need you to be more strategic or more proactive. The person receiving that feedback has no idea what on earth we're talking about. It's the same thing as respect. My mind, I am showing respect. It's just that that's not what you had in mind, your mind. So if you don't have these accountability statements, it's very hard then to give people concrete, specific be- feedback that they can do anything with. So I like that these two now were baked into the basic ways in which the company works regularly. And again, it just makes, if the supervisors are truly following uh, those systems for how we give that kind of feedback, it just makes their life easier. And again, for the associate, it makes for a much better experience. Yeah, yeah. Now, have you ever had... And we're not perfect about the, at it. Uh, nobody's perfect at anything. At least I don't think they are. Yeah. Have you ever had people that just would not get on board and you've had to take tough action on? And is that important? One, one, of, the, one of the biggest career mistakes I made is we uh, recruited uh, someone to run a division that was an area of business that we really didn't have much experience with. It was through an acquisition that we picked it up. In a very short period of time, smart guy, and I think he, he had a big heart, but you know, people, people, everybody's got baggage. Everybody's got something that's happened in their lives that causes them to behave in certain ways. But he was not consistent in our values. In fact, I had team members time and time again say, why are you keeping this guy? He continues to violate our values. And uh, at a board level, I kept having this conversation, and I, I had it face-to-face with him, too, um, uh, a couple of times. never had to have such a tough conversation with somebody about their behavior. And the biggest mistake I made is I let it go on for too long. And it damaged a lot of relationships, not only with associates, but with some of our franchisees. Mm. So it cost... It costs us uh, in in energy, in trust, and in uh, dollars. Mm -hmm. I hear that story all the time. The belief is we need them. Yeah, I should have held held him more accountable and and not given into, you know, the attitude around the board. The guy's really smart. He really understands his business better than any of us can. You just keep working with him. You know, you can only work with somebody for so long until you realize they're not interested in changing. 
So many CEOs say that to me, that one of their biggest mistakes is not changing a person soon enough, mm-hmm. that they knew it wasn't the right fit, which I think is around values or around style of engagement or around how they worked with other people, some pieces of all the same thing, and then they just didn't make that change quickly enough. Um right. I want to ask about uh, one other thing, which is suppose I exist in a big, massive, large organization and I run a part of that organization. Let's say I run a division or a business group within that organization. Can I do values in my own world, even if the larger company is not bought into it? Does that work? Oh, you're going to love this one. So the first thing that came to my mind when you said that is our government. Mm-hmm. A large Thanks. organization with lots of different uh, departments um, or representatives. So uh, I have uh, had the privilege, and it's it's a too long of a story to share right now of how this happened, but I was able to get before Kathy McMorris Rogers, who happens to be, uh, at the time, she was the highest-ranking woman in the House of Representatives and the fourth highest-ranking member of the House as she served as the chairwoman for the Republican Conference. So she worked under Boehner initially and then worked under... Um, Paul Ryan, and I got an audience before her um, really to promote something called Women in the Trades, which is another passion Mm -hmm. of mine, but uh, in telling the story, quick story of the Women of the Trades, I, you know, told her about a code of values, and I was with my chief operating officer at the time who, you know, then we just, we we know the code of values by heart with heart, so then we just, you know, go, yeah, and this is how we do it at the beginning of the meeting. She's like, what? Are you kidding me? So you're saying that at the beginning of any meeting of three or more, you, you actually review the values. I've never heard of anything like this. My team and I, so being the chairwoman of the conference, she had one team, being a rep- an elected representative in a district in the state of Washington, she had another team, so about 30, 35 team members all together. She said, we had a retreat last summer. We came up with our values, and we haven't done anything with them, which is so typical, right, Wanda? Yeah. She said, right. I like this. In fact, she said, what are you doing tonight? She said, we have a, a conference tonight with, I don't know, 200 and something uh, representatives from the House and I'd like to have you come speak if I can get them to approve it. Unfortunately, after that was a week after Boehner had given his resignation, so it wasn't a good time. Yeah. The chiefs of staff were going, what, are you crazy? Why are you bringing some gal yeah. from Waco in to talk about values in a meeting like this? She goes, because that's what we need. We need to shake it up. We need to be more values-guided. But she went on, and I offered my services. I'll come back. You, know, you don't have to pay me a thing. I'll come back, and I'll help you and your team create values. So I was back there probably three times in helping her team come up with their values, and their acronym is SERVE, which is exactly what it should be because they're to serve the people of the United States of America. And they did a beautiful job. They implemented those. The turnover is challenging in their offices, but she had less turnover as a result of those initially. I haven't spoken to her in the last uh, probably six or eight months, but got a letter from her last year that just said the values have made such a difference in the way that our uh, business operates. Then I was invited to speak at the congressional retreat because she believed in them so much, spoke before uh, 100-and-something members of Congress with their spouses, including you know, Speaker Paul Ryan at the time, just encouraging them to start, start by getting clarity of values in this organization we call our government. It's got to start at some time. It's got to start with leaders, Paul Ryan, you and you know, your leadership team, and prove to others that you really can live by values here in the government. It's going to take a long time, but start. And uh, Kathy McMorris-Rogers had the courage to do it with her team. Um, I've not been there lately, um, so I don't know where we're at with it now, but it certainly hasn't gone very fast with others. Yeah. <laughs> we have a few other places I'd like to point to. to to take that advice. So, but it did work for her then, or at least with her at the time others, she was doing others, it. Exactly. Others watched her and said, what are you doing? 
She said, look, this is what we're doing. You should try it, too. And a couple of other congressmen actually uh, invested in some of my books um, to bring that to their team. And I don't know if they ended up adopting it or they didn't. Okay. All right. And just for the record, if you're looking at doing this one, you said it's on Dina Dwyer Owens, and the title of the workbook is Creating the Culture You Want. Did I get that straight? Create your culture. It's simply create, create your, your culture. culture. You'll see the button. Yeah. Yeah, when they go to dinadwireowens.com, they'll see the button that has the Create Your Culture Workbook download. Just simple. Okay, it's so simple. Just download it. <laughs> you also have a self-assessment on there where people can sort of figure out where they are in this values equation. Is that true? Uh, well, kind of. I mean, if they, they, they look at the Create Your Culture Workbook, they can see what step they're at. So there's okay. the six steps. You know, maybe they're already at step three. Uh, but now they really have to create the systems around um, keeping them front and center. So a, yeah. bit, a, a bit of a self-assessment. Okay, fair enough. Now, the last thing I want to ask you about is you say this applies to your personal life as much as it does to your business life. So tell me about that. There's no question. If we don't know what our own personal values are, how do we even go into the work, work world and, and decide mm-hmm. which companies we want to be part of? Uh, I'll never forget a young man who had read my Values, Inc. book. Um, I sent it to a bunch of the uh, ethics and business professors around the country when I first published that book, and he got a hold of it, and he, he wrote me the nicest letter, and he said, in all of my years of schooling, you know, throughout you know, junior high and high school, never heard of anything like this. And he said, I'm going to do this in my life, and I'm going to, as a leader of several clubs on, on campus at that university, he said, I'm going to also make sure we incorporate them here on campus. We have to know what we believe. And most people, because of their behaviors, you know, act on their beliefs, but don't get that kind of clarity. And you've got to get that kind of clarity. I tell young people all the time, I speak, you know, whether it's Cornell or Baylor University or local community colleges, I speak a lot to students. And it's like, you're about to go into this work world. Do not settle for less than what you deserve. But you, 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 you'll be compromised if you don't know what your values are. Okay. How true. You end up making a decision that in the moment looks like a good one, and then you realize that that requires another decision and another decision and another decision, and pretty soon you end up in a place that you didn't want to be, even though every single decision was sort of logical for the moment. And I think that happens right. because you actually don't know what it is you want. Um, and I, I will point out... Raising, raising children. Yeah. 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 Um, we did an interview just recently with Karen Dillon and her co-author Clayton Christensen around how you measure a life. So reference back to that podcast and it's the same idea. People end up in a place they never intended to be and not particularly happy about it because they don't know where their core values are. Okay. Now, all right. I can imagine sitting down, even myself or myself and my business colleagues and writing out each of our individual values, but each one of them ends up sounding so basic. Is there anything wrong with that? Is that the right place to start? I was just to say, what's wrong, what's wrong with basic? Sometimes <laughs> we try to make things too flowery. You know, we, 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 we complicate our life so much today. And I don't know if it's, it's this race to compete with other people that are online doing things that look pretty and, and so creative and cute online. But in reality, are they really working in your life? Or are we just believing it because we see it online? Basic to me is the best way to go. Why okay. not keep it simple? Life is so complex already. Okay. All right. And then I would add that the magic to this is to turn it operational so you can hold people accountable and then measurable so that you actually know if you're doing it or not. And then it's the systematized. I just think that's the interesting part is finding a way that it becomes part of the DNA of the fabric of the thing that we do absolutely every day. 
easy, that's a easily part. said. As leaders, yeah, as leaders, we cannot communicate too much about our values. In fact, I'd say hyper-communicate your values. Just when you think you, you know, you're sick of hearing yourself talk about it, talk about them again. But mostly lead by them. Make sure that you're leading by them. But if you don't talk about it, um, it's, people need the repetition. They really need the repetition because they're not living it the way you're living it because you're the leader of the organization. So you've got to keep them front and center. And, and again, the system helps that. So it's just yeah. part of the way you do things. Whether you're the one leading the meeting or somebody else is leading the meeting, everybody's responsible for making sure in our organization if there's a meeting of three or more, somebody better be bringing up the values at the beginning of that meeting. Okay. All right. And then inviting the feedback and being open to the feedback. I think that's such a clever idea. I love the notion that you'd have employees beep you. I'm sure none of us would like hearing that on a regular basis, but <laughs> certainly pain. a way to make that front and center. Okay. Yeah, it works. Um, Oh, I think that's what's the impressive part about it is is it clearly works. Well, Dina, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you very much for this discussion and for sharing your experiences. And I would just say again, if you're interested, Dina's books are called Live, R-I-C-H, which are the values for Neighborly, as well as Values, Inc. And you can find them at the website values-inc.com. Um, you can also find them at dinadwire.owens.com as well. And you'll also get there the Creating Your Culture workbook will give you the step-by-step play. And if you're really interested in the company, it's uh, neighborly.com. Am I correct about that, Dina? Na- neighborly brands, but probably to keep things simple, if they just go to dinadwireowens.com, there is more information. There's another link that's on neighborly brands. And for the benefit of your viewers, if anybody is in North America and looking for home services, if they go to um, my button on my website for Get Neighborly Discounts and they need a home service, if they'll go there, they'll save $20 on their first uh, service with one of our brands in their community. Now, that is a fabulous reference. So, dinadwireowens.com, go to the Get Neighborly button, and we'll find everything from there. Dina, thank you again. This has been a pleasure. And join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your own comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.